This was a tough chapter for me. I really struggled this week. Um, You'll see why as I read it in a minute. Because we've heard this story before. This story, we have heard it actually twice before. So in my studies, I was really struggling where to go with this passage. I went to bed, and Wednesday morning I woke up and I had the whole sermon come to me. Boom, in a flash. Literally about 10 minutes. I got a piece of paper, I showed my wife, there's the sermon. Done. I didn't study the rest of the week. So here we go. I'm kidding. Phil, I studied hard for you. For you. And so the title of this message is called Deja Vu. And you'll see why. Genesis 26, we're going to read the first 11 verses. So if you can follow along with me. I'm reading in the NIV. Some people ask me which Bible have I been reading with. Uh, I've chosen to use the NIV in this narrative because to me it's more lively and understandable. But when I go to the New Testament, I usually preach out of the ESV. But we're going to have a big discussion on that in the fall because some people are mad at me. They're really mad at me. They let me know in the morning. So I'm letting you know. NIV, Genesis 26, so Paul don't get mad at me, 1 through 11. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Do you notice any familiarities of this story? Have you heard this story before? This exact same thing happened to Isaac's dad twice in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 20. Abraham did the same thing, and so now we see Isaac doing the same thing, like father, like son. Some scholars think this is an error in Scripture. They would say that, you know, some sleepy scribe got all messed up and he recopied the story twice over, you know, probably drank too much altar juice or something. So he wrote the story twice. But if you notice in verse 1 of chapter 26, It's a a different story, and he notes this. He says, now there's a famine in the land, dash, besides the earlier famine of Abraham. 
So it is clear this is a different story. It's also clear Isaac is just like his dad, just like him. In fact, this is the way life is designed to be. God has a design to life. We are meant to look and act like our parents. All the way back in Genesis, God created the world, and when he created the world, he even made plants and animals to reflect their progenitors, their parents. Here's what it says in Genesis 1.25. God made the animals according to their kinds. And we find that. It's exactly what we find. Offspring look and act just like their parents. You know that. Elephants with big ears and long trunks have little baby elephants with big ears and long trunks. Gorillas in the jungle who eat bananas and swing on branches have little baby fuzzy gorillas who eat bananas and swing on branches. Animals according to their kind. And humans are no different. I found, in fact, some of my study, a very strange species of human where fathers and sons participate in an old, odd autumn ritual where they will wear the most hideous colors, terrible colors, to show their tribal loyalty. Look at that, like father, like son. You get this, you understand it. How many of you look at your children, Wendy, and cringe? Because of not what they did, but because you see yourself in them and you feel bad for them. Oh, my poor kids. Or when you start getting older, you find yourself telling the same lame jokes your dad used to tell you. They're good now, yeah. At the time, Dad, that's not funny. What happened to a man who, what did he say when he fell in a hole three times? I don't know. Well, well, well. Oh, Dad, don't tell that joke. It's a bad joke. Now I tell my kids. And they're going to tell their kids. Or you ever eat a Spam sandwich? You'd just swear you'd never eat a Spam sandwich and you find yourself eating a Spam sandwich. Or ladies, do you find yourself automatically wiping grape juice off your child's cheek like your mom did? Mom, don't do that to me. Remember that? And then you do the same thing. Like father, like mother, like daughter. Like son, animals each according to their kind. And so what we're going to find here in Genesis 26 is the same exact law at work. But this law does not just work genetically. It's not just in the physicality of makeup and looks and height and weight. It also is a moral and spiritual transference from one generation to the next. Some of these morals, some of these habits, some of these spiritual beliefs are good and healthy and great. We're going to talk about that. But some are not. And we're going to find both in this story and we're going to relate it to you. The first thing we're going to see from the story is how a parent's bad choice doesn't just stay with them. They carry on to their children. And so I'll say it like this. Parents, there are real pitfalls. There are real pitfalls to godless living. If you choose not to live for God, sometimes you don't realize those habits will transfer. In Isaac's life, God allows a similar situation to occur as it did for his dad to see how he would respond. So verse 1 begins and by saying, there was a famine in the land. The exact same thing happened to his dad. It was a test given to his dad. 
what will he do? Well, what did Abraham do? In the first two stories, when this happened, Abraham ran. Even though he's given promises that he'd live and thrive in the promised land, he ran south to Egypt. His self-protective nature of not trusting God caused him to take flight, to run, and not trust. And as we said before in the first sermon on Abraham, on this story, his running was a lack of believing in God's promise. He really didn't believe him. So he had to kind of determine the promise on his own. And so out of fear, Abraham ran, and lo and behold, Isaac does the same thing. Look at verse 1 and 2. Now there's a famine in the land beside the earlier famine of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. He was in Bathsheba. Gerar is on the southernmost part of Israel. So he went south. And then you get to verse 2. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and says, don't go down to Egypt. So God knew he was intending not to just stop there. He was going to go to Egypt too until God stopped him. So out of fear, not only did Abraham run, but so did Isaac. So the first pitfall we find from some of Abraham's godless behavior examples that his son learned the same bad strategy. It seems almost unavoidable not to transfer bad habits to your kids when you lose faith. They will pick up the same behavior patterns when you grow anxious and worried and you don't trust God anymore. They'll pick up the same one. Like father, like son. So here's the question for you right now. What do you do when you're stressed out? What do you do when life gets hard? What do you do? Have you picked up any godless behaviors when life seems difficult and overwhelming? Because I believe if you're not careful and they get the better of you, it is almost next to impossible not to transfer them on to your kids. So what do you do? When life's tough, what do you do? Do you rant and rage? Blame everyone but yourself for the things that go wrong? Ah, you get mad right off the hat? No wonder why your kid gets angry when they can't have snacks and candy. He sees daddy and mommy getting mad and things don't go his way, so why can't he? It's weird how parents believe that because I'm the parent I have the right not to act godly, but you're the child, so act godly. Why should they? You're not acting God, you're not responding to your parent God well. God says be patient, doesn't he? Be kind. But I'm the parent now. So don't be surprised if your kid gets mad. Do you drown your sorrows in beer, wine, overeating? Hmm. Wonder why your kid has no problem going to a party with his friends and thinks nothing of underage drinking, or your 12 year old has a problem with food. Do you escape responsibility and pain by watching movies, surfing online, finding ultimate meaning in a sports team? Then do you wonder why your kid is glued to their screen to watch Instagram, TikTok, or Netflix? Do you gamble hoping to gain quick money instead of being self-controlled and saving with that money? No wonder credit cards get out of hand for your kids. What do you do when you're stressed? Because your kids are watching. 
Your kids are watching, and your kids are learning, like father, like son. But the next thing's worse. The next thing that happens to Isaac is how he responds to fear. Look at verse 7 through 11. Verse 7 through 11 says, When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She's my wife. So out of fear, he instantly resorted to a lie. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife. So the Hebrew says he's, he's kissing her, hugging on her. I can't believe they allowed PDA back in the Old Testament, but they did. But he's looking out the window, and there he is. Isaac's kissing his wife in public. And uh, Abimelech's like, you, you don't do that with your sister. Huh. Hmm. So he asked around. It's not his sister. So he gets mad, and he says, she's your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Now, you've got to realize, you know why he got mad? Because the exact same thing happened to his dad with Abraham, and his dad almost died for taking Abraham's wife. So he's like, buddy, you, you're going to get me killed with a lion. And Isaac answered, well, hell, I thought I might lose my life on account of her, so I just lied a little bit. And Abimelech said, what is this you've done? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So you could say, he's doing exactly what his dad did. When Abraham went to Egypt the first time, he told Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister. Technically she was. Technically, she was. She's his half-sister. But she also was his wife. He didn't say that part. The lie got Pharaoh a bad disease. Almost got him killed. He did the same thing, went down to Gerar, and met Abimelech the first. Abimelech's the name for king. Abimelech the first, and said Sarah was his sister. And Abimelech almost got killed. God saved his life. So you could say it like this. Two times Abraham lied. Isaac does the same thing, but did you know Isaac's lies worse because Rebekah is not his half-sister? His dad told half a lie. Isaac tells a full-blown lie, bold-faced lie. He's, he doesn't care. His dad got away with it. Why not me? Abraham sinned, but Isaac sinned more. So that's honestly the nature of sin. If you don't kill sin, it will grow. Especially in the next generation. The next generation increases it because what the dad first justified, the son then just embraces. You could say it like this. The first time you sin, the Holy Spirit talks to you. Your inside conscience convicts you and you wrestle with pangs of guilt. Should I bite the apple or not? So you bite the apple. But if you don't eradicate that sin, not only will your child bite the apple, they won't go through the pangs. They're going to make a whole apple pie. What dad wrestles with, the son just naively accepts. 
I've really seen this happen as a pastor. I've seen it happen in two specific areas in dad's lives. It's a sin, but if you don't eradicate the sin, it blows out of proportion. The first one's pornography. It's terrible. If a dad looks at a woman as a piece of meat, the son thinks he is just being a man when he treats other women as a piece of meat. It's the way dad treats women. I know of some dads who even watch rotten skin flick movies with their sons. And the sons learn, this is what it means to be a man. I watch these horrible shows. That's sick. It's not what it means to be a man. That's what it means to be an animal. But I've also seen, on the other hand, moms who like seeing their daughters dress in the popular skimpy clothing because they want them to be popular. It's all right, darling. Let it all hang out. I did my day. Like father, like mother, like daughter, like son. Second area is drunkenness. This is a biggie. When the mom and dad starts using or abusing alcohol, usually at parties, family events, hunting excursions, the children begin to believe that alcohol is and will always be a necessary part of having a party, a get-together, or going camping. I've heard this a hundred times. Hey, I got the food. Who's bringing the adult beverages? <laughs> we can't party without that. Kids will learn that like nothing. Hey, we're going camping. Who's getting the beer? Where did they learn that? It's weird. It just clicks right in. So the question is, what sin are you justifying in your own mind? Just remember what your heart once wrestled with whether you should give in to sin or not, your kids will take your lead as sanction. It will embrace the sin as normal. Jesus says something scary, and he's talking about false teachers. He says that false teachers are looking for disciples to follow in their error. And when they find one, they will make them twice as much the child of hell as they are. Sin grows. Abraham told a half-lie, Isaac a full-lie, like father, like son, but when it comes to sin, the son usually doubles the ante. I have a quick side note. Jared likes how I, in the first service, I had a slip of the tongue. I called it a pet peeve day. It's my pet peeve day. Jared said, that we, should, we should have a pastor's pet peeve day all the time. I don't like that term, Jared, but it's my pet peeve. Here it is. Two of them. The first one is, I have learned something over the years working with families, and it's this. What you laugh at, what you laugh at around the dinner table or the campfire or in the pole barn with a beer in your hand, what you laugh at has more long-term influence than what is taught at church and Sunday school. It's what your kids really are going to learn. You know, you, I wonder, did Abraham laugh at the exploits with Isaac, you know, while they're eating some lentil soup in front of their tent? Son, you should have seen Pharaoh. He was ticked off when he found out that your mom was not just my sister. It was hilarious. Oh, you should have seen when God struck him with the defestering disease. Oh, he looked terrible. Oh, it was really hilarious. That would be hilarious. That's not hilarious. But we kind of tell stories like that about our sin. Oh, you should have I was so drunk. <laughs> what? 
It's really weird when you do funerals and people tell stories of the people that's dead in the coffin about, oh, I tied one on with them, oh, many days. And the mom is dying from the story because it's embarrassing. It's weird, the stories that we laugh at. Do you... Do you tell stories of your sinful past in funny ways? That kind of laughter betrays a perverted enjoyment of evil, and your children will be quick to pick it up. Because evil has this way of twisting your heart, thinking you are a man or a cool woman when you laugh at things that Jesus died for. It's weird. That's Satan's brilliance. The second thing you're going to see in the story is how a parent's good choice, however, impacts the lives of their children. To me, this is great news. Because I believe godly living, good living, actually has far more impact on your children than bad living does. Scripture always brings praise to good living. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 7.14. And then we'll go back to Isaac's story. But look at 1 Corinthians 7.14. This is a passage of Scripture that's talking about marriage. Um, When marriage is very difficult if you should stay with your spouse or not, that kind of stuff. What if they leave? What if your spouse is an unbeliever and you're a believer? What do you do? And so Paul gives advice about the importance of staying in a marriage. And listen to what he says. This is 1 Corinthians 7.14. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. What he's saying is God will sanctify both spouses if they live together in a holy estate, in a covenantal marriage. And not only that, but will have an impact on their children that will keep them clean or holy. Some churches misinterpret this passage, and they teach that children who are born in a Christian home automatically become Christians. That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is it means children who are raised under the fear and admonition of the Lord will receive a blessing from God. They will be sanctified, made holy. What that means is set apart. The best way to look at it is when a child is in a home where godliness is lived, it's like the showers of God's blessing come upon them. When children are in a home where they aren't, it's kind of a dry famine land. There's three kinds of blessings that are passed on. If we go back to Isaac's story, and these are amazing blessings. And they're ones we should not take lightly. So when you live a godly life, a good life in your home, there's three blessings that are transferred to your children. The first one is the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. This is so important. When you follow and teach God's truth, your children are given... The best way to put it, they're given glasses to see the world rightly. They finally get it. Oh, I see why people do what they do. That makes sense why I'm here on this earth. Look at verse 2 through 4. So here Isaac is getting ready to go down to Egypt, and the Lord stops him. Verse 2, and the way he stops him is it says, The Lord appeared to Isaac. He shows himself to Isaac. Why? Because of verse 3 and 4, stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I'll bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all the lands, and will confirm the oath that I swore to your dad, to Abraham. 
Verse 4, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed. This is the promise he gave to Abraham the first time, and now he's saying, Isaac, God's saying this, if you stay in the land, I'll take care of you. I told your dad that. So in a sense, because Abraham had a walk with God, Isaac gets to know God firsthand, the knowledge of God. As a pastor, here's my second major pet peeve. This one deals with how some Christian parents have decided to kind of be hands-off when they teach their children about God. I'll just kind of be hands-off. It goes something like this. I am not going to force my beliefs on my kids. I'll let them decide what they believe about God when they get older. So if they don't want to go to church, youth group, summer camp, it's up to them. Now, if you subscribe to that belief, let me ask you a very serious question. It's a very serious question. Do you make your kids go to school when they're young? And when they go to school, do you insist on them getting good grades? Like, do they need to learn how to count? Do they need to learn how to use the alphabet and spell words? I mean, is that important? And you're, of course. Yeah. Why? Because I want my kids to learn the truth. Hmm. Then teach them about God because He is the truth. He's the truth. That means He exists, doesn't He? Do you believe He exists? Well, of course I believe He exists. Do you believe He's real? Yeah, I believe He's real. Well, He's real to me, but my kid's still deciding. But think about the logic. It's horrendous logic. Think about it like that. You are saying that when you say, I believe in God, you believe he exists. That's the essence of faith, that he's real. It's like saying, this is a wooden table. I believe that table is wood. I can even hear it knocking. So as a dad, I believe that. But, however, if my son or daughter wants to choose or not choose that's real, that's up to them. You know how absurd that is? That's absurd. It's real. And when you say you believe in God, you're saying you believe He's real. Does your kid get to decide if 2 plus 2 equals 4? And you might say, that's not the same. It is the same thing. If God is, God is. Even if your kid doesn't think God is, God still is. So he needs to know the truth. The knowledge of God gives them ability to see the world as it is. Second thing, What's transferred is when your parents obey, the child gets to see the fruits of that obedience. They get to taste and see that God is good because blessing always comes after obedience. Isaac was able to see clearly faith in action. And when faith is lived out, children will see it and taste it. Look at what verse 5 says. So he says to, God's talking to Isaac, And he says, you know what, you're going to prosper, you're going to be blessed in verse 5. And the reason why? Your dad obeyed me. Abraham obeyed me. Your dad obeyed me, kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed. He trusted God. Isaac knew his dad had real, genuine faith. And he saw God answer. Think about it. Think about it. How could Isaac ever forget the time when his dad's knife was gleaming in the noonday sun 
and it was getting ready to plunge down into his chest. I mean, that had to be vivid. My dad almost killed me. And then can, can you imagine how stunned he was when he saw the angel, when he heard the angel say, Abraham, stop. Oh, I'll never forget that angel. Oh, oh. And then all of a sudden, can you imagine Isaac, and he, and he looks over and there's a ram in the thicket. Oh, dad, look, there's a ram in the thicket. Should I go get it? Because I'd rather kill him than have you kill me. Let's go get that ram. He'll never forget that day. Never. Isaac saw God work through his dad's life, and you know, you know he was forever impacted by that day. Would your children ever say they saw God work wonders in your life? In their mom and dad's life? Have you ever prayed with your kids and the prayer came true? It's funny, after the first service, a lady came up to me and said, it's really nice. She goes, you know, it's really funny. A couple, couple months ago, we had, it was raining like crazy. I was with my grandson, and we were going to this event. It was all outside, and we knew it would be canceled if it kept raining like this. So she pulled the car over, and she said, let's pray about it. So they prayed about it. They drove another block, and she said, literally, the rain just disappeared. Stop. And she says, her grandson keeps talking about it. You prayed the sky to stop raining, Grandma. You might say, that's a silly thing to believe. Really? When you obey and God blesses, your kids will be amazed. Do they see you obey? And it will have a big, big impact. More than you can imagine. What's really funny, it's amazing how like father-like son is so powerful. We were in our prayer partners this morning, just this morning, and one of the prayer partners named Paul Slaughter. He's a deacon as well. He was sharing a little tiny story about his son brought something to show and tell. And he's kind of proud of it. I said, what did he bring to show and tell? He goes, my son brought a Bible. And I said, how did the kids respond? They said they loved it because my son has a Bible with a shield and a spear on it. It looked kind of cool, a sword and a shield. And he said, but I don't... I said, I said Paul, why do, why do you think your son brought a Bible? He goes, I don't know. I can't believe he brought a Bible. If you, if you know Paul Slaughter, you see this Bible? He's given me four Bibles already. Paul Slaughter, like, loves Bibles. Why, what else would his kids show, show and tell? And then here's, Derek doesn't know this. It was really funny. In between services, I saw Isabella, and she's in the back hallway, and she's going, oh, I'm going to the nursery right now. Good morning, Pastor Chris. I said, do you have to go to the nursery this morning? She goes, no, I don't have to go to the nursery. I get to go to the nursery. Derek, good job. <laughs> That's a great job. <laughs> Success. <laughs> Do you hear what he said? One out of three is not bad. But here's the best part of all of this transference. All of this transference is that not only will they get the knowledge of God, not only will there be what I would say this seeing, tasting and seeing from parents' obedience, but they will get a reputation, a good reputation with other people outside of the church, at their school, where they work. A good reputation, a godly reputation will be passed on. When Jesus is honored in the home, your, child, your children cannot help benefiting in so many ways, when Jesus blesses your life, 
It's not just material, but it's also your soul and your mind. It's all of you. Watch how this plays out in Isaac's life. Verse 12. So he's living amongst Abimelech. He plants crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold. Why? Because the Lord blessed him. He blessed him. He became rich. His wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had a lot of flocks and herds and servants. And, and then uh, verse 15, the wells that his father's servants had dung in the time, the Philistines stopped up filling them, and so he cleaned those out. And Abimelech said, you know what, you're getting too powerful for us. Move away. So he moved away in verse 17, and he encamped in, a, in the valley, and he reopened the wells that his dad dug there, and the water came out of that. And then they dug another well in verse 19. They have more water. And so God keeps blessing their hard work. And then if you go down to verse 25, Isaac builds an altar to the Lord and he pitched a tent. And then verse 26, Abimelech came to visit him with Azu, his personal advisor, and Philco, and said, Isaac asked him, why'd you come visit me? You know, I didn't think you wanted me to be near you. You sent me away. In verse 26, Abimelech says, because we saw that the Lord's with you, and uh, you know, we realize we better make an agreement with you. What, he's, what happened, that same thing happened with Abraham and Abimelech's dad. He saw that Abraham was being blessed, so Abimelech's dad said, we better make a treaty because God's with this guy. And now he's seeing Isaac and he goes, we better be on good terms because God's with this guy. He's with this guy. His reputation is solid. And I believe when your children grow up underneath the blessing, they will get a reputation that is different. It's solid. And I'm not just advertising, I'm telling you the truth. I'll tell you, this year, the senior class at Kent City High School, they, had, they have like the top 10 and then the people that are over a 3.75. They had a lot, they had 22 students. I'm just telling you, out of those 22 students, Probably 90 to 95 percent of those kids have a re, have faith. And then, the, if you went to the graduation, the valedictorian came from this church with some parents that I know that are very faithful, and he gave a message, a bold message about Christ, and it was powerful. That's hard to do but it's because he saw it. To me, this all goes back to the purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? We talked about it. Is the purpose of marriage just to form a contract because I want to have a good life? Or is the purpose of marriage to pass on God, his covenantal blessings, and build a legacy? If that's what you want, your kid's whole life will be different. When you let God in your house to manage your affairs, it always comes with his blessing. Look, what it, look at verse 24, because it sure did for Isaac. And just look how verse 24 is written. It's beautiful. And so he uh, was kicked out of the southern part of Israel, and he moved up to Beersheba. And he's a little nervous because he's getting wealthy and people are jealous of him. And uh, God, God appears to Isaac again in verse 24. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your dad, of your father, Abraham. 
Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Because his dad formed a covenant, Isaac's blessed. I believe it's the same thing in Christian homes. When you have a real walk with Christ, your kids will see it. And they'll be blessed. I know how some of you are feeling as I, I say this. Some of you as parents feel downright lousy as a parent. Because you know you're human, you still have bad habits, you don't read your Bible like you should. You catch yourself laughing often at the things Jesus died for, you sin. Some of you try to be good parents and still your kids rebel. So here's what you wonder. You wonder, did I pass on a rebellious spirit to my kids? Because we just heard time and time again, like father, like son. I, try, I tried my best, and I guess my best was not good enough. That's what, when you're a parent, your child leaves. That's what you say. But I am here to tell you, parenting is tough. It's tough. To me, there's no harder calling, but there's no more satisfying calling to raise a child who looks like you and acts like you. Even if we fail. And even if we fail as parents, even if we fail as children, which we will, if we are God's children, He promises, just like He did to Isaac, that He will sustain us. He said to Isaac, I'm with you. I'm with you. If we are God's children, He's with us. He forgives us. He restores us. He'll never leave. It's funny, when Jesus came to earth, someone asked Him about the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe that the dead rose again. They just thought they died. They're called the Sadducees. And to prove that the resurrection was not merely a fairy tale, Jesus said this, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And it says when the crowds heard this, they were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because Jesus is saying, and he said this a thousand years, even longer, after Abraham was done and buried, and Isaac was done and buried, he said, God is the God of Abraham. In present tense. Abraham's in present tense. And the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. So when Jesus said this, he's saying, Abraham's alive, Isaac's alive, Jacob's alive, and God's their God. These guys sinned. They've had some habits that were not good. But God sustained them. And right now, Abraham and Isaac are there with him. The same guy we're talking about is real right now. And if you're a parent and you think you're a failure, he'll take care of you. In fact, you know what this story is really about. You can say it like this. You say, dear parent, God gives you children so now you know how God feels about you as his child. Have you failed God? Yes. Have your children failed you? Yeah. How do you feel about your kids, even if they fail you? Great. 
That's how God feels about you. That's why he gives you kids, so you know his heart. 